Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning, Westwood. It is so good to gather with you this morning. I'm, I'm Kenneth Bruce, and I'm the senior pastor here at Westwood. And if you're a visitor, we want to welcome you. Thank you for coming to gather and to worship the Lord with us. Inside of your worship guide is a Connect card. If you don't mind, just filling that out. And at the close of the service, we're going to take up the offering and some baskets, and you can drop it in there. Or you can take it to the, the Connect Center out in the atrium at the conclusion. But we just want a chance to connect with you and get to know you and your family I'll tell you, I am so thankful to be back here. Last week, Christy and I got to take the, the kids to Kentucky to spend time with family, and then the temperature dropped to negative six. And when we crossed that Alabama state line, there was much rejoicing. And I am so thankful to be back in a place where 30 degrees is warm, okay? I'm going to take it, and I am going to celebrate. You know, um, Randy was a man who sits in his seat, just like what you're sitting in right here in this room. And several years ago, he was an atheist, rejected God, marriage was falling apart. He had a brilliant mind, but a hard heart. But then the gospel did what the gospel does. When the gospel was preached, his heart was softened, and the word of God took Root in his heart, he turned from his sin, trusted in Jesus. God transformed his heart and his life. God restored his marriage. The Lord then grew him as a believer to the point where he and his family went to Belize for two years to be missionaries. And in the next service coming up after this one, he is going to be ordained as a deacon. You see, that's the power of the word of God. God takes his word and he changes us forever. That's not only Randy's story, but that's your story and my story for those who are in Christ. You've come to the point in time in your life in which you've trusted in Jesus. You've banked your eternity upon Christ and what he has done for you. Because when someone shared the gospel with you, you heard the word of God proclaimed and explained into your life, you believed. And it's at that point that the word of the Lord changed you forever. Well, that is Simon Peter's point in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're getting back into our sermon series as a church entitled Imperishable, in which we're walking through Simon Peter's first epistle, his first letter. We started this sermon series back in August, in which we walked through the first chapter, and here we are on the brink of concluding this first chapter, and there is so much to unpack right here in these first several verses. If you want to go back and discover more of what we talked about so far, you can go to our website, gowestwood.org, and you can download those sermons and get caught up. You can even go to iTunes and download it and listen as you go for your run, as you, as you cook dinner, as you're driving. You can kind of get caught back up on where we are leading up to this text. But to kind of reset the stage of 1 Peter chapter 1, the author of this book is Simon Peter. This is the same Simon Peter who was the disciple of Jesus, the same Simon Peter who, who denied Jesus three times. This is the same Simon Peter who walked on water with Jesus. This is the same Simon Peter who Jesus restored three times by saying, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. This is the same Simon Peter that in Acts chapter 2, he stands up, preaches the gospel at Pentecost, and 3,000 people are saved. It's amazing how God took this man and used him to, to cultivate and to form the early church. 
through his preaching, through his leading, and through his writing, God used this man to transform the world. You and I sit here as recipients of the grace that God showed through him, and now we have God's word in our hand because of the leadership of this man. And in this first in this letter of 1 Peter that he's writing, he is writing to first century believers located in the modern day Turkey. And they are suffering for the sake of the gospel. They're facing persecution because of their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as they're suffering for Christ, he's saying, listen, I know you're going through hardship right now, but I've got some news for you. It's about to get worse. In fact, he goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, don't be surprised when, when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. And so throughout chapter 1, Simon Peter is reminding these believers of who they are and what they possess in Christ. They are elect exiles. They're chosen by God. They have an inheritance that is imperishable. And God, through these trials, is proving their faith and he's transforming their character. Therefore, verse 13, he, he calls them to prepare their minds for action. He calls upon these believers to live holy lives because the Lord is holy. Then in verse 22, Peter reminds them of what has happened when they came to faith in Christ. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. Simon Peter writes, Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth. When they heard the gospel and they believed, they were purified. They were washed. They were made clean. This week, one of my children spoke to my wife with disrespect. And so in that moment of discipline and restoration, I got down on his eye level and I said, buddy, here's the deal. Your sin stains you and makes you dirty. But there's a way you can be made clean. And it's found in Jesus. And you see, that truth that I was communicating to my son is not only true for him, but it's true for me. And it's true for you is that because of sin, you and I are permanently stained. We cannot cleanse ourselves. We cannot purify ourselves before a perfect and holy God. God has to act. And what we see in the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ is the means that God uses to bring you and I to the point where we can be washed. We can be purified. Well, how does he do that? Remember back to verse 2. It's through the sprinkling of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, his holy, perfect, blameless blood was shed for your sin. All that you and I have done in our lives, we can be forgiven because of what he did for us at the cross. And so when you believe upon Jesus, it is through him that you can be washed, you can be clean, and you can be purified. That's why Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, he says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. See, there is nothing you can do yourself to be clean before a holy God. God has to act, and he does. He purifies us with the shed blood of Jesus, because without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
So when you heard the gospel, when you heard the word preached to you, and you put your faith in Jesus, it's at that very moment that you were purified. For me, I was 18 years old. I was in my bedroom by myself at 1 a.m. in the morning, a month before I started classes at UK. And it was just me and a Bible. And I read 1 Corinthians 2.9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I knew that I didn't. So right there in that room, it was just me and the Lord. And I just gave my life to Christ. And at that very moment, I was purified. What about you? When was the moment that you gave your life to Christ and you were purified? Maybe it was at a vacation Bible school or a volunteer leader just spoke life into you and shared the gospel with you and you believed. Maybe it was with your parents at the kitchen table when they explained the gospel and all of a sudden it clicked. It just made sense. Maybe some situation like this where there's some preacher standing up telling you about Christ and at that moment you're like, I need Christ. I'm going to believe upon Jesus. For some of you, it may have been in your car. God just meets with you there and you have to pull over and you, you give your life to Christ and everything changes from that moment forward. You see, wherever you were at that point in which you trusted in Christ, that was the moment that you were purified. That's the moment that your heart has been transformed and changed forever. If you're here this morning or if you're watching online and you have not given your life to Christ, hear me today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can come to know Jesus. You can be purified from all of your sin. You can be forgiven of everything you've ever, been, ever, you've ever done. He is made away through his son Jesus. And he goes to the cross and he dies the death that you deserved. And he rises again on the third day, giving eternal life to those who believe and trust in him. But once you've been purified, it's then that we, we show, verse 22, sincere brotherly love for each other. We covered this back in mid-November when we were studying verse 22 that the gospel works in us and then the gospel works through us. We show that we belong to Christ by the way that we love Christ's people. We, we love with an authentic, genuine love that comes, verse 22, from a pure heart. And all of this is because, verse 23, you have been born again. It's interesting how Peter continually reminds our persecuted brothers and sisters of their salvation. He's keeping the salvation of what God has done for them in Christ, and he keeps holding it up. He's pointing to him, saying, don't forget this. Even though you're suffering, even though you're being persecuted for your faith in Christ, he's holding up the salvation that God has given to us in Christ and saying, don't neglect this. Don't forget what God has done for you in Christ because when you understand this, you're willing to deal with anything. It's amazing how he's holding up salvation and in many ways throughout chapter one, kind of like a jeweler who holds up a precious diamond and inspects it and looks at it from different perspectives and angles, studying it for different color and clarity and different cuts. What we see in chapter one is Simon Peter's holding up salvation and he's looking at it from different angles and perspectives, saying, look at all that God has done for you in the gospel. Look at this salvation you have in Jesus Christ. And so through your faith in him, you have been changed forever through, verse 23, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable. 
You see, your eternal future has been radically changed by a seed that lasts forever. It's interesting how Peter here uses the word seed to describe this new life. Now, if we think about it, we know this. A seed is a source of life. A farmer knows this. He plants the seed, water, sunshine, growth. There comes forth life. Parents, we know this is true because it's through the seed of an earthly father that life takes place. And yet, the life produced through these types of seeds eventually leads to death. Plants die. People die. In fact, whatever perishable seeds produce, eventually they die. But you, however, Simon Peter says, have been born again through an imperishable seed. This seed that was planted in you, it never dies. It is imperishable. It remains forever. Forever it's yours. Well, what is that seed? Peter tells us in verse 23, the living and enduring word of God. Notice what this looks like in the text here in verses 23 and following. I want you to see, number one, that you've been changed forever by the living word of God. Verse 23, he says that through the living word of God. God's word is alive. This book in your lap is not like any other book in the world. The Bible is made up of 66 books written by more than 40 authors across a span of 1,500 years, across three continents with hundreds of themes and topics, but all leading to one overarching reality, and it's redemption found in Jesus. How in the world can you get 40 different authors to agree without disagreeing with one another? How in the world can you get people to write something that spans 1,500 years without any error? How in the world can you get people writing from three different continents, be able to mesh all of their thoughts together so it makes one big cohesive truth? How is it possible? Well, it's possible when the living God is the author of the living book. God wrote this book. It is true and trustworthy in all that it says without any mixture of error. The writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is God-breathed. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Don't miss this. The Bible is the book that breathes. This book in your lap is alive. It is the word of God, and it is trustworthy in all that it contains. There's no other document in the world that can make such a claim. God has spoken and he put it in a book so that you wouldn't forget what he has said. And every day, God has a word for you. And he gives it to you through ink on paper. He has made a way for you to know him, to know his ways, and how you are to live based upon what is written inside of this document. 
And when this book is read, when it is rightly divided, when it is taught with clarity, when it is preached with precision, Christ Jesus is lifted up and he draws all men to himself. It's amazing what God has given to us through his word. Do you see why gathering every week matters? You see, this is the one time each week that we silence our phones and we block out distractions and we sit still and we open our ears and our hearts to hear the word of God. I want to challenge you in 2018 to make it a priority to be here every week because God has a word for you. He wants to speak right into your life through his word. And this time right here, we stop and we block out the world and we focus on the Lord and we hear the word of God read over us, explained to us, and applied to our lives. It is there that God meets with us through his inerrant, perfect word. And you can trust every word written in this document. You see, one of the highlights of my week every week is this right here is together we get to sit under the authority of the word of God and we get to hear the word read and explained and taught right into our very lives. You see, God still speaks to us today and he speaks through his living word. J.I. Packer said it like this, the Bible is God preaching. Because when the Bible speaks, God speaks. He meets us right where we are. And when we gather together and we we sit under his word, we hear from the living God. Why would any preacher preach anything other than this? Why would any church put up with hearing anything less than the pure milk of the word? It's because people like having their ears tickled. We like being told we're awesome. We like being saying, being told, you can trust your heart. Do whatever you want to do. What? There's nothing more precious than this word. You see, churches that do not preach the word, they take hell lightly. Eternity is at stake with what is dealt with within this book. And Peter's point in verses 22 and 23 is that we've been changed forever by the imperishable word of God. You see, it's only the word that can breathe life into a dead body. It's only the word that can make dead men come alive. Practical life tips can't transform the heart. Inspirational stories don't lead to a resurrection Don't miss this. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to recreate the people of God. You see, true life change takes place when the Holy Spirit takes the living, breathing Word of God that He wrote. And then He takes that Word and He puts it into your heart. And it takes root. And it transforms your mind, which then transforms your life. So let me ask you a question. Has the Word transformed your life? Have you been changed? If not, you're probably not in Christ. But you can be. If you will hear this word preached to you of what God has done for you in Christ, of what Jesus did for you at the cross and at the empty tomb, you believe upon him, and then that is when the word changes you forever. 
But I also want you to see number two, that you have been forever changed by the enduring word of God. The word of God, verse 23, it abides, it remains, it endures. To undergird this truth, Peter cross-references Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. He says here in verse 24, he says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. All flesh, it means every living being, whether human or animal. And every living being, whether common and ordinary, kind of like grass, or if it's spectacular and extraordinary and beautiful, like a flower, they all die. Grass withers. Flowers fall. You and I know this. When we're going to be commissioned off this campus in a few moments, we're going to go see fields of brown grass. We're not going to see flowers sprouting up. Why? Because eventually they die. So Simon Peter is taking this word from the prophet Isaiah and saying, this is true for mankind. All of us are like grass. We're going to die. Your body is falling apart. Right now, I have testimony of my impending death through the dry skin all over me. Okay? James says it like this, that life is a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And God is saying, we are just like this dead grass. Hear me today, your life is brief. Death is coming. 100% of all people are going to die. You can't escape it. Verse 24 and following. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy and attractive or if you're poor and dreadful. Death is the great equalizer because grass withers and flowers fall. But look at verse 25. The word of the Lord remains forever. Do not miss this, okay? Stay with me. This is huge. The imperishable seed, which is the word of God, has been planted in you, Peter says. Now, since the word of the Lord, since that imperishable seed remains forever, guess what? So do you. Though your body and flesh are going to die and to decay, the imperishable seed of the word of the Lord has been planted within you. So based upon your faith in Jesus Christ, you remain. Which means you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear getting old. You don't have to fear that this body is going to fall apart. Why? Because this is not who you are. It's going to fade, it's going to die, it's going to fall, it's going to perish. But you have an imperishable seed, which is the living word of God, that has been planted within you. So now, Paul's, Peter is telling these persecuted believers that this imperishable seed of the word of God, it has given you new life. You have been transformed, you have been changed forever. And though our flesh is just like grass... Our flesh is just like the flowers of the field. They're going to die. They're going to fall down and decompose. But the internal, enduring word of the Lord lives inside you. 
And because of the gospel and it's planted within your heart, this imperishable seed that will never die means that you will remain forever. That's the good news. This word has changed you. But did you know that this world is, word is also changing you? So Kenneth, now this word has changed me, but what's it look like for me moving forward? How can I go to the next level in my walk with Christ? How can I allow this enduring, imperishable seed to truly transform my life moving forward? I'm going to give you five words. Five words to help you get more from your Bible. The first word is this. It's the word daily. Daily. In Acts 17, 11, it says that the Jews in Berea they receive the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. When New Year struck, that was one of my prayers for our church this year, that we would be Bereans. We would be a group of people who daily study the scriptures. And we allow the word of God to not only take root in our hearts, but to transform our lives. It's so that when you are listening to preaching and teaching, when you take time to open this word, you're studying the scripture saying, okay, wait a minute. This person just said this. What does the Bible say? I'm gonna test everything that comes out of this person's mouth based upon what the word of God says. That's what the Bereans were doing. They're examining everything that Paul is saying and they're like, whoa, 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 hang on, Paul. We're gonna study the word and see if this is so. Which means every day you take time to get into the word. If you only eat one meal a week or one meal a month, you're going to get sick and you're going to die. Well, if you only read your Bible one time a week or one time a month, you're going to spiritually get sick and die. You see, you, we drift naturally. Our hearts, we wake up in the morning and our hearts are immediately drifting away from the Lord. So we need the word of God to bring us back and to refocus our eyes upon what really matters. But see, it takes discipline. That's the hard part. But here's the deal. If you can discipline yourself for CrossFit, and you can discipline yourself for Whole30, you can discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I want to challenge you this year to daily take time to abide in the word of God. For me, I've got to get up early in the morning with five kids and two dogs, it gets loud and crazy quickly at my place, okay? So while everybody's still asleep, I try to get up and like, that's my time with the Lord. I wanna spend time so I can hear from him. So number one, it's daily. Number two, the word is time. It takes time, y'all. If you put time in at the gym, you get stronger. You put time in at the library, you get smarter. You put time into reading your word, you're going to fall more in love with Jesus. But here's what I have found. In the 17 years that I've been following Jesus, I've learned many things, but I know this is true. There are no shortcuts to godliness. I kind of wish that there was like a GNC where you could just take a pill and all of a sudden you're like Christ. I wish there was like a retreat that you could go to. It's like a two-day getaway. You pay your hundred bucks and you go and you're, you experience the Lord and then like you're good for life. It's not how it happens. You see, godliness is day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, 
daily denying yourself and picking up your cross and following Jesus. And it takes time. It takes time. If you want to grow in the gospel, you've got to put down your phone. And you've got to put your nose in the book. The only way, hear me, the only way for the word of Christ to dwell in you richly is to actually read the book. It takes time. Number three, it's not just daily, it's not just time, but number three, you've got to pray. Reading your Bible is not the same as reading a novel or reading a poetry. You need supernatural eyes to see. Now, thankfully for believers, God, John 16, 13, gives us his spirit. So Jesus says in John 16, 13, um, the spirit himself will lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit helps you to read and understand the Bible. He's there to help you. But here's the deal. You've got to tap into him. You have to ask. You have to pray and say, oh, God, would you give me the eyes to see? So before you start your Bible reading, you stop and say, God, open my eyes. Help me to see, not through the lens of a 21st century American. Help me to read it from the eyes of a first century believer. Help me to see it from your perspective. What was the author's original intent? What's really going on around here? And Lord, help me to go and apply this to my life. But you need eyes to see it. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha was uh, being attacked by king of Aram. His entire army surrounds Elisha. He wakes up, servant sees all these people, and he freaks out. He says, Elisha, we're in trouble. We're surrounded by an army. What does Elisha do? He prays and says, God, open his eyes so that he might see. The servant looks up again and he sees a mountain covered in angel armies and chariots of fire. Fear is gone. You and I need that. When we look at our day-to-day and we see our calendar and our to-do list, we need to stop and pray and say, God, give me eyes to see. Help me to see. And then you open the book and you begin to say, God, would you show me? Help me to read and discover. Throughout the week as I prepare sermons to deliver to you on Sunday mornings, I am staring at that book and I am saying, oh God, give me eyes to see. Help me to see it. God, I can't see it. Where is it? But it's amazing how his word is just, it comes alive when you pray and you seek him and all of a sudden his word comes to life. Number four, the next word is slow. You see, God's word satisfies when it is savored. One of my sons eats like it's a competition. Anybody have any kids like that? I'm like, son, slow down and taste it at least. I mean, it's just like as fast as he can put it on his fork, he's putting it in his mouth and he's ready to head on like, what's next? I'm good. You see, if you and I treat our Bible reading just like that, we're going to miss it. Slow down. Savor. Take a bite and just meditate on it. The the Bible uses the word meditate. You meditate on the word. You let it satisfy. It's the difference between eating at Firebirds and Steak and Shake. You go to Firebirds and you are satisfied and you enjoy it. The other, you tolerate it. 
Well, God does not want you to have to tolerate reading his word. He wants you to savor it. Slow down. Word by word, sentence by sentence, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, you take your time and you study that word. Fifth and finally, obey. You gotta obey. God's word is to be heard and it is to be heeded. We are to listen and we are to obey. We are to hear and we are to do. Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty eight, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. See, the proof that you love the word is that you do what it says. You see, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he took on human life. And he went and died on a cross. And he was buried, but he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rises again and gives eternal life to those who turn and trust in him. You see, this is the word, verse 25, that was preached to you. And when you believed the word of the Lord, it is then that not only were you purified, but you were changed forever for the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you.